Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm enjoying being at the beach in the pool in Florida, and I have a screwball and romantic comedy class set to start in uh, July, but I'm just relaxing until then. And the subject of today is not screwball comedies, but movie musicals, as we review In the Heights, which was just released last week, simultaneously on HBO Max and in theaters, uh, directed by John Chu, who has also done Step Up to the Streets, Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, and Crazy Rich Asians, uh, starring Anthony Ramos, Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace, and Melissa Barrera. In the Heights is based on the stage musical of the same name as the film follows a neighborhood in Washington Heights in upper Manhattan over a few scorching hot days as residents go about their lives and pursue their dreams, mostly immigrant residents. Uh, It premiered June 4th, 2021 at something called the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival, which I had never heard of before, uh, and got a wide release on June 10th. Uh, Metacritic score of 85, a Rod Tomato score of 96, and a very disappointing debut in theaters with only 11.5 million at the box office on a $50 million plus budget, which has got a lot of people arguing over whether HBO Max is to blame or something else. Um, what did you think of In the Heights, Jonathan? You saw this in IMAX, right? Right. I thought it was fairly entertaining. I have some geeky filmmaking issues with it. I don't think that a number of the musical numbers are very well choreographed and shot. It has the same problem that Chicago has, that it's too quickly edited. I don't think that a lot of the musical numbers um, are staged very well. In the, like They cut around too much. There's too many characters. There's too much happening. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, is, it, is this happening at the same time or is this cutting, you know, it, it just, it, it's too, it, it, I wouldn't even say it's MTV editing. It's just, it's just too frantic and there's too many characters. They're dancing in the streets and then they're in the pool and then they're on the side of the pool. And, <laughs> yes. and it just, it, it gets a little distracting. And also, I mean, just as just a personal thing, um, I I'm not really a fan of this type of music, like the the rapping stuff. You know, when they're going to do do do, I'm just like I kind of just roll my eyes. I'm like I just don't like this type of music. Mm-hmm. But it's the cast is really charming. Uh, they're really talented, and uh, you know, this isn't like oh, just because it's diverse and it has you know, uh, about different, different groups that makes it a good movie, but it's, it's, uh, refreshing to see a movie with not just a bunch of, you know, white straight people, you mm-hmm. know, just dancing around, you it's know, like Latino straight people. <laughs> right. Right. Well, no, there's a few gay people in the hair salon, I think. Um, but, you, but uh, yes, you think they never yeah, actually say yeah, problem. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, all of the very weird comparing it to the one we just reviewed uh, the previous episode of quiet place part two but like while i was watching it i was enjoying it but i was i don't know i also had the problem of god west side story is such a good movie this is not west side story no it's but uh, it, it feels like it's definitely like of like the same vein it seems very much influenced by it right um and another geeky film Okay, you go and say what you say about her. I'll go into more geeky stuff. I mean, I enjoyed it well enough. I just, uh, I, it's just, I kind of don't really care for the music. The and music. it's not that it's a bad musical necessarily, that the music's bad. It's just that the type of music is not really my cup of tea. And uh, I don't, and my main criticism is that I think a lot of the musical numbers are not particularly choreographed or shot mm-hmm. very well, edited very well. But the cast really elevates the movie uh, it makes it you know I, th- I think the cast and their spirit and their energy the, the they're giving an 110 percent and they make the movie worth seeing no that's completely true i think anthony ramos who plays the lead character uznavi you can tell is just like giving everything he can to this movie and it seems like you know he went to work every day like <laughs> what is the what can i do to be the best possible uznavi i could be in this movie but 
I'm, I'm, I mean, I was, I'm sort of surprised to see it have such a high score with the critics because I mean, I wasn't blown away by it at all. I think it's a little too long. It's about two hours and 20 minutes. And I think there are certain parts of it where it really felt like it was dragging, especially since there's not a ton of plot in the first place, not a lot happens. So it doesn't really do a lot to justify it's, extremely long running time for a sort of modern contemporary movie i mean being at two hours and 20 minutes is like it's not a whole lot shorter than my fair lady which well I, that movie's almost three hours it's it's like <laughs> well it's got a long short. intermission which if you well, cut I, that well no i mean i i think that one thing my mom pointed out that i didn't really think of at first is that it's per, it's quite long but then there's major characters like not to give away but there's this conceit of like the the storytelling that he's telling yes. some children. It's got a framing and, device and then, where he's on a beach right. telling kids. Yeah. And and then at the end of the movie, it's revealed what's really happening <laughs> and when it is. But there's like all these other characters that they don't say what happens to them. Yes. It's just like, and blah, 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 and it ends. And it's like, well, wait, yes. well, what about the kid who's trying to get his green card? What about the one who- The guy who sold a, his know? business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I, mean, so I understand. It, yeah. yeah. I, it, I don't want to. It, it's weird. It seems super corny at parts, like really corny. I mean, and maybe part of that is because it's based on a musical that came out in 2007, 2008. It must have felt extremely fresh when it came out in 2007, 2008, but sort of especially considering like what's happened in the past year, it seems like it really doesn't go far enough with a lot of the issues and sort of just barely touches on stuff that should be made a little more present. Do you sort of get where I'm coming from there? Yeah. It's like they go to a uh, protest about, uh, you know, immigration, right? Uh, and there's yeah I thought of, a lot more you know, was going to be made out of that and it just sort of played uh, down but <laughs> right but it but most musical numbers are just like you know it's it, it's like there's a celebration of this community with these kind of offhanded references to real issues that they yes. don't really delve into. No, but I, yeah. I thought that they would. And I was sort of surprised by how tame it felt because I don't know, it was marketed as being like this sort of like breakthrough and representation for Latinos and, and sort of stuff, like, which you get, like the music is very uh, like, it's got a lot of salsa and hip hop and stuff like that. There's actually a lot of untranslated Spanish in the movie, which I found surprising that they didn't even include subtitles for a decent amount of it. So I felt like we were actually they could have had a out. bouncing they could have had a bouncing ball, you know, like you have in, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We along. could have sang along, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I felt like there was I... stuff that I was missing with the untranslated Spanish, which I guess was part of them trying to be authentic, uh, you know, to sort of what it was representing. But it also sort of confused me a bit because I was like, I feel like there's stuff that I should be taking in which i'm not right um one more geeky filmmaking thing i don't like the scene where they're dancing up the building because oh, i hated that fred, yeah okay fred astaire did it like 60 years ago in royal wedding and they actually had a set being turned and he's actually dancing up the wall and when you're seeing this and the sun's, you know, refracting and it's like, there's this huge city block. I just see it and I go, well, this is just computer effects. Yes. This, is, this isn't exciting. It's not. No, thrilling. not it's at just... all. <laughs> and did you ever see Woody Allen's musical, Everyone Says I Love You? No, that's one I've been trying to get on Netflix DVD for the longest time, but it's unavailable. Yeah. Um, there's this really amazing scene where um, I think they're in France or there might, I can't remember where they are, but they're in Europe somewhere, uh, Woody Allen, Goldie Hawn, and they're on the, you know, the, the you know, there's a river, there's water next to them, and they're on the um, banks of, uh, the, the, you know, on the bank, and mm -hmm. he's dancing with Goldie Hawn, and he, like, tosses her in the air, and she floats up in the air, and it's like, you don't see any wires, but it's like, and he, like, he's dancing with her, and he, like, she goes like this, and, like, flies down very gracefully like she's like it's like crouching tiger hidden dragon but it's done yeah. very gracefully it's like magical it's realism just, 
I know, but it's all done in one shot yeah. and it looked like you don't see any wires and it's like beautiful and breathtaking and funny. And like when they're dancing up the side of the building, you're just it was like, like, it's a gimmick. I know. And it just doesn't work. I mean, the, the thing, oh, it, I mean, it, it didn't feel natural to the scene either. It felt like it was just something that's happening all of a sudden. And I thought it was yeah, a weird thing specifically with that scene and that you have a kid who's having dinner with his family reacting to them being on the side of the building, which sort of like blurred this realism line for me in a weird way. I was like, so what are we supposed to take from this? The kid is like seeing them actually being on the side of the building, which I don't know. It's musical. It's supposed to be a bit sort of magical realism. And the musical numbers are sort of supposed to represent like when emotion overflows beyond the point of conversation, you go into music. But in that scene, it really didn't feel natural. And it was executed really sort of in in like a way you could really tell it was CGI. It really didn't look like they were dancing and it sort of took me out of it. And from that point on in the movie, it sort of lost me a little bit and I started feeling very distanced from it. Well, don't you think there are a number of musical numbers where there's just so many people on screen and it just, it doesn't keep track cinematically very well of what's happening. You're like, you know who's singing like what is the song really about and it's just it it just it cuts too much and you got to be able to have you got to have the you got to have the uh, the cinematography and the editing you got to have you know you can do really cinematic things with a musical but you have to you have to do it well or it's just confusing and it's it's sort of a problem with a lot of movies adapted from a stage musical into a movie musical and that they operate on sort of different planes and that in the stage musical, it's sort of like acknowledged they're just going to start breaking out in a song and it won't feel weird. But in the movie musical, I think you really need to make it part of the scene and that they start singing for a reason and that their emotions are tipping over to a point where they need to express it in song. And I don't know if it really was integrated that well into this movie like they sometimes they just started breaking out in song and i was like why are they singing <laughs> why are they singing right now like and it started off where they were singing like every line of dialogue and i was like is this how it's gonna be and then nope it wasn't like les miserables they didn't sing every line so i was like so why were they singing then but not now um so i don't it's not like i hated the movie i thought it was i thought it was entertaining it's charming thought, yeah, yeah. I, anthony ramos is really good in the lead role Corey hawkins who i haven't seen in a lot of movies i'd know him most from uh straight out of compton um he was jimmy good smith's is in it yeah jimmy yeah. smith's was good I, I, I mean a lot of good sort of latin performers who i'd never seen before the two female leads are really good but uh it was too long i didn't think it really worked as a movie movie musical you could very much tell that it was like a broadway musical that they just sort of made into a movie like uh, and the sort of did you see the hamilton uh film performance that came out last year that one is literally just a film performance of like a you know of a theater performance and i think that actually worked really well because you know it acknowledged that it's just a stage play and it works well as a stage play where i thought that this wasn't really integrated into being a musical a movie musical in the same sort of way like it's, it's stuff that would have felt revolutionary when you're seeing it on stage in terms of like representing reality on stage must have been more interesting when it was on well, stage than in a movie maybe it would have worked better if they had done it like dogville or on the town like they had kind of like almost artificial <laughs> sets. no that actually like might more, have been more interesting you know it's sort of it the... sort of leans into the artifice while this one is sort of like trying to make it like this is really what this neighborhood is like and it's actually gotten a decent amount of criticism in that uh apparently it doesn't have enough uh afro latino sort of dominicans because it's supposed to sort of be set in a dominican neighborhood but all of them are kind of like light-skinned uh latinos so it's, it even like has sort of failed in its attempt at representation from what it seems like lin-manuel miranda like issued an apology that is like i'll do better next time so it's i mean it's like a movie that's supposed to be about re- representation it, it did not sort of succeed even in its goal for that um so i mean it's not like i it's not like I'm up in arms about that. Like I've never been to Washington Heights. I don't know what the neighborhood is like. This seems like a good musical about the neighborhood, um, but just not, you know, 91%, eight out of 10. I thought it was like a sort of like what we gave to a quiet place part two on our previous episode, like a three out of five sort of movie. Yeah. It's not yeah, one I would I mean, go. It's not one I would like make a point to see in theaters. Um, I think it's one you can just sort of, 
put on and watch with the your significant other at in the comfort of your own home and enjoy it perfectly right i had a cousin who said she took a film class and they had to watch west side story and she said oh i just watched it at home and fast forwarded all through the musical numbers i'm like why would you do that but uh i uh no i'm I, I I was entertained enough while watching it, but I have zero desire to ever see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay, well, let's talk about some better musicals, even though this, we thought this was okay. <laughs> yeah. um, why don't you start with your number five? So musical is a bit of a strange category, sort of a weird genre in that it's sort of hard to determine sometimes what a musical is. Like obviously there are a lot of movies with music in them. Right. That aren't necessarily so for example, musicals. to me, a musical is where the characters break into song and sing. Mm-hmm. There's movies like Robert Altman's Nashville and his last film, A Prairie Home Companion, that are not musicals. And, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, Walk the Line, uh, those are not musicals. They are music biopics. You know, to me, the characters have to be breaking into song for it to be a musical. And there has to be like a certain number of musical numbers in it to be considered a musical. Like if there's like two songs in a film, that's not a musical. Mm-hmm. It's just a song with like, music in it. <laughs> like Monty Python and the Holy Grail is not a film musical because there's like, you know, uh, the Knights of the Round Table song, you know, mm-hmm. and there's the Sir Robin ran away song like that, you know, having two songs in a movie doesn't make it a musical. So, so with that five? in mind, my number five movie musical is All That Jazz, directed by Bob Fosse from 1979. Uh, Bob Fosse, probably best known as the director of Cabaret, as far as movies are concerned. But aside from that, he's a very famous choreographer who worked in Broadway for a very long time. And All That Jazz is kind of as close to an autobiography as you could get for a movie musical. It's about a, an aging Broadway director who is a hard partier and womanizer. And it's sort of about him facing his mortality, but as a musical. <laughs> and it's one of the great sort of openings to a movies that I can remember where it's like this giant group of people who are all doing this sort of same dance routine. And you sort of figure out that it's an audition and like people <laughs> are picked and some people aren't. And that sort of, and it's sort of interesting in, as a musical in that for a good bit of it, the musical scenes are integrated in that they are like recognized as being performances in the world of the movie. And it's not until the climax that it sort of breaks out into the traditional really big sort of musical number that you would think of as characterizing a movie musical. And the last, I mean, the last sort of, the climax of the movie is outstanding. I don't, I feel like I shouldn't spoil it, but it, it does a really good job of sort of the world of the heightened world of the musical sort of commenting on the reality that takes place in the world of the film in a really outstanding way. Um, all that jazz, Bob Fosse. Uh, does this appear on your list anywhere, Jonathan? It is my number one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we spoiled it to start out with. Do you want to discuss no, it now yeah. or do you want to wait? Yeah, um, no, I can start. Yeah, it's in my top 10 favorite films of all time. Uh, I think that it is an extraordinary film. And interestingly, another film in my top 10 of all time is Eight and a Half. And there was a Broadway musical and a terrible film musical made of that called mm-hmm. Nine. Uh, but I think of this as the successful, you know, musical version of Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Fosse only made five films, died quite young. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the film, if, you know, if it's being true to his real life, you can understand why he died <laughs> yeah. in the film. It's so dark. I, what I love yes. is that, you know, half the movie he's in the hospital and he's going to have open heart surgery. And they're basically in the second half of the movie going, you're going to die. Your life's a mess. And his women are like telling him about what a scumbag <laughs> he is. Stop taking all these and, pills and smoking and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a movie that it came out at the end of the new Hollywood era. And like, I can't imagine a Hollywood studio making a movie like this now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like, imagine, uh, you know, someone making this dark R-rated, you know, self 
you know, looking inward like this. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a remarkable film. I mean, the editing, you know, like you said, the opening's great. I love the ending too, not to give mm -hmm. anything away, but the ending is so great with the final shot and the, you know, the Ethel Merman singing, there is no business, like <laughs> show business. And it's early Jessica Lange. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's just, it's it's really a remarkable film. Uh, I know not everyone loves it. There's some people think it's self-indulgent and they think that it's too dark, but I just think it's really an astonishing film. And uh, yeah, Fosse only directed five films, uh, Cabaret, uh, and this was uh, one of the other ones, uh, probably is best known besides Cabaret, like you mm -hmm. said, but boy, uh, did we mention who it stars? Roy Scheider. Mm -hmm. Roy uh, Scheider. From Jaw. Yeah, in a, in a really different performance than what you'd seen him in in French Connection and Jaws and Marathon Man. Uh, right. Yeah, it's just it, it, a remarkable film. So um, I'm going to go to my number five, which is also a really dark movie, is Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark. Mm. Have you ever seen this film with Bjork? <laughs> no, I've heard it's one of the saddest movies of all time. So it I've, is, I've tried to avoid it. It is excruciatingly heartbreaking. Like you almost like you you despise you almost hate Lars von Trier for making the film because he creates this beautiful character that Bjork plays and basically spends two hours and twenty minutes destroying her in almost like a cruel and unnecessary way. Um, I think the movie is. I mean, I don't want to say this about every movie, but it, it really is an astonishing film because it's so strange. He's filmed it where he had a hundred cameras put up, digital cameras put up around the set and they would film the musical numbers like in one go and he would take shots from the musical number and edit it together. And originally he had the idea of they were only going to do each musical number one take and he was going to take the hundreds of hours of footage from the hundred cameras that were all placed around the set but they ended up doing it a few more times but it's uh it has some connection to the dogma film style even though it like breaks every rule because one of the rules is that it couldn't be a genre film and this is clearly a musical and uh there couldn't be any added music to the film and that also is clearly not true with this film but it certainly has some of the handheld aesthetic you know there's uh outside of the musical numbers the film is very gritty dogma like mm -hmm. but the film stars icelandic singer bjork and they had a really uh contentious relationship making the film i mean she's even like claimed like me too like he like sexually harassed her and was like racist to her on in the making of the film and crept into her bedroom in the hotel at night um i don't know you know well he's, he's sort of known for being very difficult Lars von Trier. Yeah. Famously right. banned from the Cannes Film Festival. Right. Even though he did get back <laughs> with the house that Jack built. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I love Lars von Trier. He's a provocateur and uh, I don't know always what to think about his comments and his personal life or even some of his films. But Dance in the Dark is actually my favorite of his films. I've seen all of them. Uh, it's about an immigrant woman in America in the 1960s and she's going blind mm. and she's trying to raise money to have her son have an operation to hopefully avoid the blindness. That the hereditary disease. From. Right. And uh, it just gets worse and worse for her. And it's just it, like the movie is it's almost unwatchably sad, but I don't like it should be seen. I mean, it's just like the movie's devastating. It is um, it, like Lars von Trier basically like rips your heart out and like kicks your heart in the balls and like just steps on it for two hours and 20 minutes. And I think it's a beautiful film, but it really puts you through the ringer. What but, is um, what is the music I, like? It's Bjork. <laughs> so it's just uh, sort of like Icelandic sort of uh, indie music. It's an acquired taste, but uh, interestingly connected to all that jazz. Uh, well, not all that jazz, but Cabaret, the film uh, has a supporting role by Joel Grey. And the Oscar film also winner. stars Catherine Deneuve. Yeah, also <clears throat> stars Catherine Deneuve uh, as uh, uh, 
uh, Selma's best friend. Selma is the character that Bjork plays. Mm. But um, I, I, I highly recommend the film, but you have, I, I've said before, to rewatch the movie, I have to be in a certain mood because I know it will drain me. It mm-hmm. will just emotionally drain you. So I'm just telling people to be prepared because it's, uh, I, I think, a remarkable film, but it really puts you through the ringer emotionally. Mm. So my number four, <clears throat> probably something significantly lighter, is <clears throat> A Hard Day's Night, directed by Richard Lester from 1964, the first Beatles movie, um, which may seem like a weird sort of out of left field choice but it is very much a movie musical i mean they break into song i don't know about 10 different times during the movie and i mean the best thing about this is it's literally just a beatles album that's a movie and it sort of just lets the beatles be themselves on film um you actually get a really good performance at a ringo star where he has a sort of solo scene where he's being all sad because he's the least talented of the beatles um so i mean it's much better than a Beatles movie has any right to be. I think Help, <laughs> the one that came out after this, is sort of what you'd expect from a Beatles movie. It's not very good. It's a little bit over the top and ridiculous. But this one actually is a kind of an interesting commentary on their own success. Obviously, the really famous scene from it is the opening set to A Hard, Day, hard Day's Night, where they're like being swarmed by fans and going through all these different hoops uh, to jump through to get away from their fans, like going through cars that have a good decoy car and stuff like that. But, and this is just a, one of the best sort of celebrity vehicle movies you could possibly imagine uh, where it just makes very good use of the personalities of the celebrities in the movie and does everything it can to allow them to succeed in the movie by sort of building a plot that they don't really have to do much in. And the songs are fantastic. I mean, A Hard Day's Night is not exactly known as like the greatest of Beatles albums. It's not Sgt. Pepper's or Revolver, but it's got some really, really good songs. I mean, A Hard Day's Night, I Should Have Known Better, All My Loving, Can't Buy Me Love, She Loves You. I mean, just some absolute classic songs. And I'm a huge Beatles fan, big fan of Richard Lester. His movie, Patchouli, from 1967 is fantastic. Um, he actually won Palm Dwarf. Is he? Yeah. yeah, he's like 89 or something. Look at that. Maybe, maybe one should, of my. Oh. You should team up uh, with Richard gonna... Donner and co direct <laughs> <laughs> Leap the Weapon 5. The two Richards. <laughs> We're making a musical. Yeah. Uh-huh. Picturing Mel Gibson singing. But no, um, <laughs> I one of my favorite, one film that would be on the short list for me of honorable mentions, uh, one of my favorite films growing up is when he directed A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Mm-hmm. I really love that movie growing up, but yeah, yeah. Hard Day's Night is a wonderful film. And like you said, it has, it's so much better than it has any right to be. Yes. Like you would think it would just be this dopey, you know, boy band, uh, you know, but it's like a really artfully done film that has substance to it. And it's, you know, the music's great. I mean, that, that gets it, you know, that's a huge part of the success of the film is that the music's great, mm-hmm. but it's actually like a legitimately good film. It's in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. Um, I was gonna. This is a random aside. Have you ever seen Peter Sellers doing Laurence Olivier doing a Hard Day's Night? No. That sounds yeah, it's really good, funny. Though. Yeah, it's funny. It's on YouTube. It, it's like you have uh, a narrator saying, "And now we have." And what I just said, and you have Peter Seller and he's doing basically Shakespeare. But he's like, it has been a hard day's night and I've been working like a dog. It has been a hard day. It's very, very funny. You should look it up on YouTube. Um, but that had nothing to do with anything besides it's connected to hard day's nights. Uh, but it's very funny. Uh, yeah. Wonderful film. Criterion Collection. Nominated for two My- Academy Awards. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, what were they? So, uh, Original song, screenplay and song, I think. Oh, wow. Okay, my number four is Mary Poppins. 1964. Mary Poppins. Directed by Robert Stevenson. Uh, starring Julie, Julie Andrews. Andrews Dick, yeah, Dick Van Dyke. Um, lovely movie. Lovely movie. Great music. Feel good. It's one of those classic Disney films that you watch it and you're like, this is just legitimately a great film. It makes you feel wonderful. It makes your heart sore. It's funny. It's charming. Dick Van Dyke doesn't have a good accent at all, but it doesn't matter. Julie Andrews is just, you know, magical. I mean, her character is, but she's just stunning. She's like the ultimate movie musical star. 
Julie Andrews. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's what else to say about Mary Poppins? It's very loosely based on the uh, on a you know children's series that, and they made a movie about how the author wasn't very happy with the film because they basically <laughs> changed everything about it. Um, there was the one Saving Mr. Banks with Emma Thompson playing the uh, author P.L. Travers. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I'm correct. This is the only uh, live action Disney film to ever be nominated for Best Picture. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, live I can't action. think of any others to be honest. Um, I don't it's, think it's it always a bit weird so which movies are Disney. Like, I think A Few Good Men is technically a Disney movie because they bought well, Castle yeah. Rock. Oh, okay. Well, it's like a splash to Disney movie or say <laughs> yeah. Touchstone was another. Uh-huh. But yeah, but yeah, Mary Poppins is just a glorious movie. It, I, I I used to dance to it when I was young. I would love my favorite scene when I was young was Step in Time. I used to get a broom or something and I'd go do 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 Step in Time, Step in Time, <laughs> where they're dancing on the roof. I love that scene so much. And of course, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah, and also previous episode, uh, star of Bride of Frankenstein, Elsa Lancaster shows up in it. The mm. woman who plays the woman who plays the mother in the film is still alive. She's like ninety six or something. Good lord. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that Mary Poppins. You you you've seen it, right? It's been a long time. If I, I don't remember it extremely well at all, the, the scene I most yeah. remember from it is the Dick Van Dyke. Uh, chimney sweeps and their dance on uh yeah on that's what i was saying yeah step in time yeah that's that song well, okay. one of my favorite yeah one of my favorite videos just to look up on youtube is there was a few years ago at disney they had a stage performance i i don't even know what it was if it was it was like some televised disney event and they had all these young dancers and they were doing step in time step in time and then they go to and they open the door and Dick Van Dyke's there and he's like 93 years old and he's going step in time and the audience just jumps up and starts cheering and applauding <laughs> like Jesus came up. I mean, it's just so cool that he's, you know, as old as he is and he was just dancing along with them, you know, hopping along. And uh, I, I have to say, I was I really did not like the recent the sequel, sequel, Mary Poppins Returns. Emily Blunt is great in it. She's the only good thing in the movie nothing else is good about it it's really bad i was like the the original is you know cheerful and lovely and it's like every bad version of like what is good about the first one is the new ones just like it just makes you want to throw up it's just like (laughs) eating a giant bag of candy and throwing up on the screen i just was like ugh it's a travesty uh, lin manuel lin Lin manuel miranda was in it he was sort of the Dick Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke type role, right? Right. right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did not like, but I love the original. <laughs> so Mary Poppins, uh, the original from 1964 is my number four. So for my number three, we're having the first appearance on mine of a movie, not in the English language. Uh, it is The Young Girls of Rush 4, directed by Jacques Demy from 1967. Um this is one of those movies that if you've never seen it, uh, you start watching it and you're just like, what is this? <laughs> what is happening in this movie? It's, it's like so colorful. It's unbelievably colorful and just makes has this incredible jazz score. And it's, it's fun. I, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect when I first saw it. So I went into it with a very blank slate and it just sort of. Had you not seen Umbrellas of Sherberg? No, I had seen that, and it was part of a double feature. So, I, but they're very different movies. Uh, like *Umbrellas of Cherbourg* is like, which you know may or may not make an appearance later on this list, uh, is <laughs> is sort of like realism done in an extremely heightened way. While *Young Girls of Rush 4* is just sort of like the Jacques Demy style of like really bright sort of primary colors, just boost it up to the next level. And it's got incredible dance sequences. It's got Gene Kelly, um, like uh, he must be like late forties, mid fifties when he's in this movie, and he's outstanding. It's got George Chakiris from uh, West Side Story, and uh, actually the guy who played Riff in the original West Side Story are like this pair of sort of like <laughs> Lothario type dancers making their way around France. Um, 
it's it's the sort of two lead uh, characters, the titular young girls of Rush Four, are played by Catherine Deneuve and her sister. Uh, what is her name? I can't remember her name. Um, Catherine they, Deneuve also starred in Umbrellas. Yes. Um, so he's she's sort of like Jacques Demy's uh, Robert De Niro to a certain extent. Um, Francois Dorliac is the sister who plays the other young girl of Rush Four. And it's just got some like great uh, Michelle Piccoli is in it. Just a lot of people you'd recognize if you've seen a lot of foreign movies. And for me, I mean, Jacques Demy is like the king of the non-Hollywood musical. And this is the most exuberant of his movies. It's just like an absolute celebration of the movie musical. I mean, it's I mean, the fact that it has like someone uh, who starred in all the MGM ones and uh, Gene Kelly and then George Shakiris, who starred in West Side Story, arguably, arguably the most famous mu- movie musical of all time. It like exists as a tribute to the medium as you're watching it. And it's just like an absolute delight. Like you'll have a smile on your face the whole time you're watching this movie. Um, I, I think a lot of people aren't super familiar with Jacques Demy's uh, musicals. Um, I think if and if they were, it would definitely be Umbrellas of Cherbourg that you would have heard of. But this one is, uh, while Umbrellas of Sherbourg can be a bit of a downer, this one is just exuberant and very like bright and colorful and happy the whole time. And it's really, really, it's got great songs. I mean, <laughs> I don't speak French, so it's like I could sing along with them, but just some absolutely fantastic melodies. Um, have you seen this one, Jonathan? I've not seen any of Demi's musicals. Really? Um, Famously, it's like saying I've married noticed- to Agnes Varda. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I know that's like saying, oh, I've never seen a Clint Eastwood Western or action film. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, uh, I actually plan on watching them very soon. I watched a number, a handful of his shorts just like two weeks ago. I watched like five of his shorts and they were really good. Yeah. A number of them are on the Criterion channel. But um, yeah, I own it on Blu-ray. have not seen it. Um, Do you I have the box set? It. No, I, I just have the young girls of Rushfort. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I know, highly recommend uh, it. It's 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 yeah. so much fun. It's so beautiful. It's like it just it's so great. I just am happy thinking about it. Uh, what I think if people have not actually seen any of his movies, if they have any frame of reference for Jacques Demy is that he was one of the big influences for Damien Chazelle on La La Land. Yes, correct? Very much. I mean, the color palette of La La Land is like a tribute to the films of Jacques Demy. And uh, they're sort of like in the Heights in that it's just supposed to be sort of like life, but song and dance. (laughs) But it just it does it in a really interesting sort of way. And it's very much a comment on movie musicals. uh, Sort of it's they're very, very meta. And this one is sort of a tribute to the MGM musicals. Uh, the 1950s and Gene Kelly's uh, appearance in the movie is very much a signal of that, but it, it's just so exuberant. It's a celebration of the movie musical, and you might think French movie, oh, it's all about you know prostitutes dying in a gutter, but <laughs> this is very much not that. And I really, really recommend it. It's absolutely outstanding. Uh, from 1967, uh, the young girls of Rushmore, or if you want to be all uppity and say it in French, Les Demoiselles de Rushmore. Um, so see it as soon as you can, well, Jonathan. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I do want to watch the Umbrellas of Cherbourg first to be a little No, I think compulsive. I think that's I think that's probably the way to do it. If you have, I mean, if you really take out like four hours of your day, they're fantastic as a double feature. Right. Um, well, my number three film is kind of obscure. I don't know that a lot of people have seen this one too. Uh The Wizard of Oz. Nineteen thirty nine. No, it's one of the most uh, beloved movies of all times. One of the most widely seen films. Um, I remember watching not the whole film, but just a part of it on TV. I mean, I've seen the whole film many times, but I saw a part of it on TV. I remember like a few years ago, and I felt like a woman on her period. I was like, "Why am I so emotional at this?" Like it was like (laughs) I was shocked. Like how, like there's something about that movie. It's so artificial. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, it's like there's painted sets and Mm -hmm. there's, you know, a guy in a lion costume and like the, you know, it's, it's so artificial, but there's something so profoundly moving and human about that movie. I I, I don't know. It, 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 I, I don't really know why it's hard to 
put into words why that movie has resonated so much with people with so many people yeah i mean they're you know it might be like the most famous movie of all time to be honest yeah unless there's like some movie from india that like because of the world population people (laughs) have seen it's it's our it's possibly the most film it's the film that most people on earth have ever seen yes um but uh i just i mean it's judy garland mm-hmm. and it's uh interestingly 1939 directed the one credited director is victor fleming mm-hmm. who even though a number of people probably you know did work on it and the same year gone with the wind he also is the one credited director <laughs> on that to t- technicolor marvels but um i mean i mean i'm the guy who loves the texas chainsaw massacre and solo and tarantino and john wick movies but wizard of oz is just a it just it melts your heart and it's so lovely and i just love it so much i'm i'm like everyone else on earth almost i think everyone loves <laughs> just a basic and, ass bitch <laughs> yeah well i have to say too it, there's no debate for me it is the greatest screen villain of all time the wicked witch of the west by margaret hamilton definitely one of the, the most greatest. iconic yeah, I mean, she is just amazing. I, uh, one of my favorite videos, um, uh, bits that have ever been on Turner Classic Movies, you look up on YouTube, is John Waters talking about The Wizard of Oz. Uh, it's one of his favorite films of all time. And he said, one thing I never understood is why she wanted to go back to that drab black and white Kansas with that. <laughs> You know, that uh, aunt who dressed so horribly. Why wouldn't she want to hang out with singing little people and gay lions? You know, <laughs> um, and uh, he, yeah, his commentary is very funny on it, but it's such a, I mean, it's funny that it's like obviously a musical, but like you almost go, like, oh, yeah, that is like one of the best musicals of all time. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if everyone would like that would pop into people's heads at first. But uh, it uh, is a classic musical. It's one of the best fantasy films of all time. Very different from the novel in some That's what ways. I've heard. I mean, there's the basic, basic plot. But uh, you know, like in the original first novel, like the Tin Woodsman cuts off a bobcat's head with his axe, and there's this whole part where they go to a Chinatown, and like there are these people that are made of China, and one breaks. Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, this just, is one of those movies where I feel like uh, nobody can really remember the first time they saw it. It's just like sort of always existed for most people. It's definitely like right. one of the first movies most people see when they're like introduced to movies. It's on TV all the time around the holidays. I mean, it's just such a huge part of popular culture at this point that it's it's just like everywhere. I mean, like anytime someone would say they've never seen it, it's like be absolutely shocking. It's like, oh my God, are you, are you alive? Do you exist in the world? You've never seen Wizard of Oz? Right. So, I mean, you feel like I do. It's like, a, it's a wonderful film, don't you think? Yeah. And it's one that a lot of times you'll just sort of, or, you know, if it's on TV, you'll just sort of catch a little bit of it that uh, whenever you do watch the full thing, it, you do really realize just what a great movie it is and just how well it works as a movie uh the whole way through um because i think i mean some people might even forget that like any of it is in black and white you just sort of think of the parts where they're in oz you don't really think of the parts where it's in kansas um at least i didn't so what's your what's your next pick so my next one i'm being a snob and going with another french jacques demi musical going with the umbrellas of cherbourg from 1964 also starring Catherine Deneuve who's made a few uh appearances on this on both of our lists so far um this one is quite different than uh the Young Girls of Rush 4 and that that one is very much a celebration of the movie musical and very much uh sort of like a meta celebration of the movie musical this is sort of like a um ironic commentary on the movie musical and that it is entirely sung through sort of like an opera and it has all the sort of big songs and stuff like that but it is about um just a girl in france during uh the war in algeria who falls in love with a man who is drafted into the army and he goes away and she marries someone else and he ends up with someone else and it's it's very sad and it's sort of just like about if a musical was just sort of everyday life, uh, real life, sort of ups and downs and the sort of compromises people need to make 
um, in every day. So, you know, it doesn't end with the two leads getting married and everything is happy ever after. It is much more, um, it's sort of, it's a lot more of a sort of down to earth, gritty sort of story, but it's just all done in song and in extremely bright colors like a Jacques Demy musical would be. So it makes a sort of ironic distance between what's happening and the sort of uh, way in which the story is told the um, just the sort of technical aspects of it sort of act as a commentary to what's unfolding on screen in a very interesting way. Um, this one has also been pretty influential on the movie musicals that have come after it, especially the sung through musicals, uh, which aren't, which are very hard to, to execute because in a lot of situations, it seems ridiculous when people are singing all the time, but this makes a very sort of ironic distance between what's happening and the fact that they're all singing and everything is in these very, very bright colors. So it's uh, very different as a comment on the movie musical than the young girls of rush for, but I think even more effective because it's just like, it just makes such great use of, of the movie musical and, how it sort of sets expectations for people who view them. And that's not necessarily how life ends up being. Um, very influential on La La Land in terms of uh, the two leads not ending up together. But you also haven't seen this, but I really, really recommend it. It is absolutely outstanding. Um, Interestingly, you're what you're saying about the film, that it's also somewhat what dancer in the dark is doing it's like yes. she has this incredibly bleak life and she, the film is almost like and also in a way all that jazz there's yes. these scenes where people are singing and it's like we're singing this lovely song but everything's shit and we're dying or <laughs> yes. you know we're i'm not, being forced to marry is, someone yeah. i don't love <laughs> the guy i love might be dead right. it's yes it, and the songs are fantastic i mean you might seem like uh I mean, it, it would not work if the songs weren't great. It would be very, very bleak. And I don't know. I don't, I mean, obviously, I obviously wouldn't like it as much, but Michel Legrand, the, the person who does the music, who also does it for uh, a lot of other Jacques Demy films, like the songs are incredible. The, the song where like the two romantic leads have their departure from each other is for me, one of the great songs of any movie musical. And it's so perfectly executed with the the camera work and the mise-en-scene that it's one of my favorite sort of five minutes of any movie so this is one i had the the privilege of seeing in a movie theater actually as a double feature with uh, the young girls of rush for i saw them back to back so i could not think of a better way to experience those movies for the first time and have loved them absolutely ever since i saw them the first time so two of my top three jacques Demy, a frenchman <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, I, I need to catch up with his musicals. Uh, so my number two is a film that is widely cited as the best film musical of all time and certainly of like the big MGM classic musicals new uh, from the classic Hollywood era is Singing in the Rain, 1952, directed by Stanley Donnan and Gene Kelly. And... It's, I mean, I feel like I've said this about a number of the films on my list and reference to yours. There, it's just so life affirming. And mm -hmm. it's like you have to have a heart of stone to not just have a giant smile on your face and <laughs> laugh and just feel like life is worth it while you're watching it. It's uh, Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor and a very young Debbie Reynolds. And also, because uh, I was listening to an interview with her recently, Rita Marino shows up in it in her mm -hmm. career. I didn't realize that role. until literally uh, like a week ago that she plays one of yeah. the, uh, she's like an actress. She plays uh, the person who's supposed to be the sister of Debbie Reynolds' character in one movie. Right. Interestingly, not nominated for Best Picture or Best Director, mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy. It's considered like, you know, it's funny that that's widely considered the best film musical of all time, not nominated. The Searchers, considered often the best Western of all time, was nominated for zero Oscars. Um, but who, what did the Oscars know? They like give <laughs> Oscars to like all these like such these other musicals that are so much less, you know, there's there's not nearly as good. All the, well, uh, given Oscars and musicals didn't become popular until the late 50s <laughs> with Gigi. And then it yeah, went on a huge run like, with West Side Story and Sound of Music. Yeah. 
but uh yeah singing in the rain it's it's a genuinely funny movie like it's one mm-hmm. of those i mean a, a lot of the mgm musicals are you know comedies mm-hmm. but like that one's like legitimately funny it's on the like the top 20 on the afi's list of the 100 funniest movies and it's also one of the better movies about movie making yes. because the plot of the movie basically is about this woman who is a big silent star and when sound comes in she has this really annoying voice <laughs> and they have to have so, they want to have someone dub her uh and i actually have said this before that if i could only preserve one film and like show it to an alien species and say like this is what film is this is like you you know this is what humans can do this is like a film singing in the rain i think would be my pick because it's so glorious and life-affirming and also it's about film and it Mm -hmm. explains a little bit about film history so i think it's uh, a good pick for like if you could only put like one film in a space capsule and like the whole world's gonna blow up or you're gonna show it to martians this is would you say that's a reasonable pick oh definitely I mean, it has some great songs. I mean, Make Them Laugh, Good Morning, Singing in the Rain, the title song. And I think a lot of them were repurposed from older musicals. I know at least Singing in the Rain came from a musical from the 40s. And so, and like some of the other ones, it is sort of a commentary on the musical genre, as well as existing as a really good musical. Right. And... Uh... Famously, the song was used in A Clockwork Orange, which I also <laughs> love, but very, very different movie. But uh, yeah, if someone, if people have not actually ever seen Sing in the Rain, if it's one of those classics that you've never actually seen or you've never seen the whole thing of, watch yeah. it. It's just, yeah, it shows on Turner Classic Movies all the time. Yes. <laughs> like a, once a month. Wonderful movie. For me, this and, is like the ultimate mo- movie where people know about it and they might even know the title song, but they haven't actually seen it. Right. And I think it's I think it's a movie that even people that don't generally like musicals like it's so infectiously wonderful and and it's just like I I can't imagine even if you're not really into musicals like how could you not like singing in the rain Mm -hmm. you know so my number one is all that jazz which we've mentioned so what's what are your you have one more or two so I have I have one more Uh, what's your number one my number one for me the ultimate movie musical of all time uh my fair lady directed by george cooker from 1964 um i i love the songs in this movie i love the sort of like artifice of the sets uh i love the sinful performances from rex harrison and audrey hepburn um i like how long it is (laughs) i know i said that in the heights i sort of didn't like how long it is but i sort of love how bloated my fair lady is and how it just seems to go on forever because it's not a movie that I want to leave when I'm watching it. And I know it's gotten a bit of a stick from some people and that it's sort of like artifice uh, can be distracting, but I think that like, it's sort of like artificial sets and how you can tell it isn't really London and the sort of uh, staginess of some of the interactions actually really works because it doesn't really aspire to realism. It sort of revels in its uh, sort of staginess and the fact that it is a musical in a really, really fascinating way. Sort of like the opposite I, of In the Heights in that it, it doesn't I think that, be realistic. I think one of the things that people have issue with today, and they actually had it in their month series on Turner Classic Movies about mm-hmm. like looking back at movies is that like, Rex Harrison is this horribly sexist monster and why on earth would she (laughs) want to be with him? Well, reason does not dictate this movie. This movie is not one that is dictated by reason. I don't really necessarily ask a lot of questions of the character motivations because it is preposterous sort of as an idea. So I don't really get bogged down in the realism. I could understand how people would be uh, sort of have a hard time understanding the romance between the two lead characters, but that's not really what I enjoy about it. I just sort of enjoy how brilliantly George Cooker stages all of the musical scenes um, and the songs themselves, I think are fantastic. Um, but George Cooker for me is like one of the great uh, directors of like exuberant kind of movies. He did a star is born from 1954. 
uh, a lot of other ones. Also, three hours or yeah, exactly. Hours so, so he's just yeah. like sort of the master of the bloated uh, movie musical, and I think that this is just sort of the the ultimate representation of the of the bloated movie musical, but in a in a really fun sort of way. And I don't think it really drags ever. And it's made of like there's really only like six or seven set pieces that make up the whole movie. But all of them are executed so, so well. And this, I mean, like the costumes, the staging, uh, the sets, I think are just so fantastic. And it, I like that it isn't realistic in a sort of weird way. Uh, and I like, I don't think movie musicals really need to be realistic. I'm, I think that's, it's interesting about Umbrellas of Cherbourg and that it sort of comments on the unreality of movie musicals. And this one really revels in the unreality in a really special sort of way. But this one just has a special place for me. This, I mean, it's honestly one of my favorite movies of all time. It's at least in terms of just being extremely watchable. Like I love the colors in it. I love the songs. I love the acting performances. Um, I'm sure you don't like it as much as I do. <laughs> no, I, I saw it for the first time just a few uh, years ago. I had it out of Netflix on Blu-ray for like 10 months. And I oh, just really? was like, I don't want to. It's, it's one of those where it's like, I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a chore, but it's just like, it's almost, it is three, almost hours three hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is really charming. Uh, I also recommend, not that you have to, but there's the original uh, film version of the story, Pygmalion. Pygmalion. Which is, uh, yeah. George Bernard it? Shaw. No, I haven't. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just familiar with the original play. Oh, you should see it. It's based good. on the, um, yeah, it, the, you know what the name comes from? Pygmalion. Uh, it's a sculptor who made a sculpture so beautiful that he falls in love with it. So it's Pygmalion. It's sort of a comment on him making Eliza Doolittle into his ideal woman, shaping her right. from marble. And even though Audrey Hepburn is dubbed in the film, it's, you know, all, to me, this and like Roman Holiday are her greatest performances. Yeah. And as yeah. we mentioned, Julie Andrews before, she originated the role on Broadway and was going to do the movie but left it to do mary poppins right yeah she had kind of a one-two punch with mary poppins and the sound of music mm -hmm. uh but yeah I, I, my fair lady it's it's i i understand why like i would have no i would understand why someone would not like it if like if you don't really like musicals it's you know it's like a hundred percent it is ultimate it's exactly, musical <laughs> right Right. It's like fancy costumes and it's three hours long. It's based mm -hmm. on Broadway musical and then one best picture. But yeah. Mm -hmm. And Rex Harrison, even though he's kind of an awful character, he's he's uh, he's really funny. wonderfully. Yeah. And but, his sort uh, of yeah. like so the way he sings is sort of like just talking but in a melodic sort of way. And it actually really works like it's you have in some movie musicals like uh Russell Crowe in uh, Les Miserables where it's like, oh man, he really can't sing. Uh, and in this one, he sort of embraces not being able to sing. <laughs> right. Yeah. M Mark Kermode talked about Russell Crowe singing in Les Mis. It sounded like a barge coming in. Oh, oh, you know, it's like really <laughs> bad singing. But uh, yeah. So I'm not the biggest fan of film musicals, but like I can always come up with a list of my favorite i have to i wanted to mention one other one as an honorable mention that i'm not saying as one of really like the best film musicals but i really have a soft spot for bye bye birdie have you ever seen it that's the one with ann margaret ann margaret dick van dyke yeah. janet lee that's the one about like the teen star who invades yeah. the town yeah that is a good one right yeah it's it's kind of corny but i really enjoy it Paul Lind is in it. Kids, what is wrong with these kids today? You know, <laughs> I really enjoy it. Well, any other honorable mentions, real well, quick? Well, Sound of Music, uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. There's a lot of movie musicals. I mean, a lot of the MGM ones are really good. On the Town, It's Always Fair Weather. Uh, I mean, they're just a ton. Meet Me in St. Louis. I saw that for the first time this year. Yeah. But you know, I'm a I'm a big I, um, sucker I really, for the musical. <laughs> I really like this is off. Uh, you know, this is a weird one. I really like Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Like, I would consider that a musical. There's like you know six or seven musical numbers in that. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I also really like Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. I think that's one of Tim Burton's best films, certainly in this century. Yeah. All right. Well, In the Heights, kind of lukewarm for both of us, but enjoyable. And then we, yeah. And then we both really like uh, all that jazz. <laughs> so oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back with you guys next time. Bye.